Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast, episode 11. This is the first of what will probably be a few episodes during this uh, potential lockdown that's going on, because obviously the whole world has been affected by this fucking corona shite. People are actually going outside and going to pubs and all, so don't, don't be fucking stupid. Stay in and listen to this podcast for how many episodes have I got? Well, 11 episodes, obviously, but, well, this will be the 11th, but... That's several hours to keep yourself occupied in this poxy situation that's going on. So this is the first isolation podcast that I'm doing. I'm probably going to do a few during the week because fucking I have the time to do it. I may as well. And I enjoy doing it. So I might actually do a couple of spotlight episodes as well. This one is kind of going to be a spotlight episode in a way. I'm going to review a shitload of movies on it. Um, because, I mean, I didn't get to see anything new. I don't, Actually, I'm just having a look here at what I've watched. And I don't think I've seen a single new film in the last week. Uh, I did miss a few films last week that I was talk when I was talking about movies. Obviously, I talked about Affliction and Million Dollar Baby, True History of the Kelly Gang, Freaks, Dark Waters. I might have mentioned The Departed. No, I didn't actually. Uh, I watched The Departed after I recorded the episode, rewatched it, and obviously before that I watched The Dirty Dozen, which I don't remember if I talked about on the podcast. And Easy Money. I, I watched a shitload of stuff, and I just want to cover a lot of them here but I mean obviously I haven't had a chance to go to the cinema I wanted to go see The Invisible Man obviously A Quiet Place has been postponed loads of stuff has been postponed uh, I wanted to see The Hunt as well I didn't get a chance to see that um, and I mean this, like, first there was the Bond movie postponed until November and the new Fast and Furious movie is postponed to fucking next May which is kind of crazy uh, they must really be desperate to have the summer screening and they don't want to fucking miss out on that at all what I mean, a year's a long time. I suppose you could probably have a n- nearly a fucking back-to-back now if they, they film part 10, provided they have been given the green light for it. But then again, they're such fucking popular movies, they are going to get a green light. But yeah, it's kind of mad that this is all fucking happening. It, it starts off, It's like a movie, kind of. It's stuff you see in a movie that you'd go, ah, oh, that's ridiculous, this wouldn't happen. And now here it is happening. So It's a massive pain in the arse, but I think the world we live in now is quite prepared in terms of the whole so- or social isolation, self-isolation aspect because in general people enjoy staying in and just binge watching movies and Netflix and all kinds of shit so it's kind of, well at least in my case, anyway, I'm just doing what I like to do anyway but now the government's telling me to so <laughs> can't complain uh, but there's a few things I want to talk about I mentioned last week about Corey Feldman's documentary now Little did I know, I remember saying that I thought it was going to be out soon, maybe this week or maybe this month, could have even been next month. Turns out it was actually the next night that it was airing. The day that I actually released that episode of the podcast was the Monday morning. It came out Monday night, or at least it was fucking supposed to. Uh, I never actually said the name of it either, it's called My Truth, The Rape of Two Corys. And I just I, I remember just hearing about it and I, I explained a bit of detail behind it, why he wants to release it that way, but holy fuck was that a disaster now obviously i haven't seen the documentary but his whole plan and how he was going to release it was so fucking botched and there was a lot of flip-flopping in terms of what people thought of cory over the few hours that all this was going on it was due to air at like 11 o'clock or something in america streaming while he was doing simultaneously a screening in la for people in a cinema and the screening just never went ahead it's just a complete botch he claimed that it was hackers or at least he was told it was hackers and 
everything just looked really suspect it looked like there was a lot of like paid actors in the crowd and it looked like he it, lo- it was all coming together to look like a big scam from people and I just thought this is this is just such a fucking disaster like his movie's not playing he actually paused his movie 10 minutes in this is another reason people thought there was a bit of conspiracy here 10 minutes of it I think showed online before a cut out and he showed 10 minutes in the cinema before pausing the screening and going oh there's been something happening online and people thought if he cancels this screening now you just know that he's fucked everyone over apparently then he continued the screening but there was just I mean there was people waiting 3 or 4 hours just like this is never going to start and they were going mad and they were demanding money back Corey was very silent about it as well and it just blew up it was just a fucking disaster and no one was talking about it. anyone who was actually at it there was a few journalists and whatever else who were at the screening they weren't posting shit about it so people were like what the fuck's going on have they seen it what are the names people are all they paid 20 quid a head basically to find out nothing and eventually Corey got on the next day and said look I'll fucking send you all a DVD each of this fucking thing if I have to I want this movie seen so he was adamant that it was hackers there was no scamming going on and he eventually had the movie play on a loop all week or sorry no all day uh, the next day just so people could have a chance to see it and I think he had another screening the next night but the literally the worst thing that could have happened to you happened but you think with hackers it would be because he has someone huge I mean serious that he's going to talk about now, I mentioned last week I didn't want to name any names because I didn't know, but one of the speculated names was going to be Spielberg, and that would have been devastating, and thankfully he wasn't. Um, but of course, because Twitter is fucking daft, once people were speculating and that his name came around, his name starts fucking going around in all these tweets, and people are like, oh, is it him? And then it just explodes, and that's why I didn't want to mention it before. But obviously now that the names are out, I'm happy to say it. The problem is, I feel like... I mean, this is this is kind of a it's a weird side to the way people are that we're disappointed in not hearing someone bigger, um, because you don't want no one wants to have people they idolize finding out that they're fucking pedo scumbags. Now, this was speculated years ago as well. I remember hearing several different claims that Charlie Sheen was the one who molested both the Corys, and. I mean, it was kind of thrown away. No one really talked about it. I think Corey's ma had actually said it. There was all this stuff. And then I just thought, okay, now that he's going to talk about this huge name, it's going to be someone massive that no one's, like, expecting at all. And it just turned out it was actually Charlie Sheen. So now we know that Charlie Sheen is a fucking paedophile. And it's, uh, it kind of, <laughs> it's kind of not really surprising at the same time because the guy has always been a fucking weirdo. And I think when you have the speculation already out there it kind of feels like less impactful or something like obviously it's good i'm glad that all the fucking the people in exactly because there was a few producers and a couple of other actors apparently i think bob saget was mentioned then again that could have just been circulating on a tweet because i haven't seen the documentary like it's i don't even know if it's still streaming it's a mess how it was fucking released but charlie sheen has been confirmed anyway by everyone in it and it's good that all these names are getting out there but i think he kind of see again it's such a weird (laughs) weird thing to talk about when it comes to this subject matter but it feels like he kind of just lured people in with a a false sense it was going to be someone bigger and like imagine just imagine (laughs) being disappointed at this like i mean it's just it's i suppose it's human nature i guess but i don't know i just i was just thinking like oh this is gonna be someone huge and then it was just charlie sheen again it's just 
it's a bit disappointing. Um, but it's good. Like I said, that he's he's named them. His it's out there. Some of the other producers, some guy from Disney, I can't remember who he was. He's like twenty, who was molested while he was making some show, and that was all out there. And all these names are coming out, and it's a good thing. It just feels like the way Corey Haynes sold it, it was going to be colossal. The fact that he needed all this security, he had armed security, and fucking felt his life was threatened, and he thought this person's going to come after him and all. But it's like the only person that he mentioned was a fucking washed up actor who's been a failure for the last fucking 10 years after completely destroying his career and then having a slight resurgence so i don't know it's a bit weird but i was more just wanted to talk about how much of a fucking disaster that screening was like i actually i couldn't believe it because i was kind of half following it live i was like oh yeah that's tonight and then i started looking at the twitter and just seeing all the vitriol going towards Corey, and that's what i find funny about the whole flip-flopping thing is because the same people who were like you're a fucking piece of shit, you're a liar, you took 20 fucking quid off me, you're a scammer, you fucked over loads of people just to get rich, you're a lunatic, blah blah blah, those same people, what, eight hours later when the documentary airs, oh, such a powerful documentary, it's so terrible what you went through, blah blah, it's like, you were just fucking vilifying this chap eight hours ago, and now suddenly you're on the, the fucking virtue signal side, or whatever it is, it's just fucking daft, but, um, yeah, now we know, Charlie Sheen is a dirtbag, but in relation to what I talked about last week in Separating Art and Artists, I still think Hot Shots 2 is fucking hilarious, and I'm still going to enjoy it, but it does put into question uh, just him on other film sets and people around him, and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's disappointing to hear these things, but I mean, I'd rather know that actors I like or whatever are scumbags rather than them getting away with you for years and years and years, but yeah, that's the way it is with the two Corys documentary. But like I said, I can't really... I mean, there's probably a lot more to it and what went on and whatever else, but I don't know any of that because I haven't seen it. And I don't think it has an official release anywhere. But it seems, with the amount of people who actually tuned in to buy it, and like there's going to be a lot of interest from studios. So it might appear on Netflix. Because Netflix show all kinds of shit. But it reminds me, there is a documentary I never saw, and apparently it was like people were trying to bury it in Hollywood, which means it's, it has to be something worth seeing. And it's called An Open Secret. And it's about all this stuff. I don't know whether or not Corey appears in it. It came out a few years ago now. But it talks about all that. And how Hollywood is littered with scumbags like this. So it's that might be worth checking out as well. I might. I mean. That would be a grim fucking documentary double bill to have anyway. But I think it would be interesting to get an insight to all this shit. Because I think people need to know it. And I think this documentary should get picked up because if it's going to expose this stuff great i just think he went such an arseways way about it and i mean obviously it's his story to tell and whatever else but it just seems like there's a lot of capitalizing done on what happened rather than just go right i want to get these names out he did want to get the names out he wanted to expose these people but he went about it in such a way that was like i need to make a good few quid off of this and i, I mean i suppose that that's also fair but it kind of I mean, cheapens what he was trying to do somewhat. I don't know. But yeah, a thumbs up for fucking exposing scumbags in Hollywood. That's always a good thing. I Again, I don't know the full list. Actually, John Grissom was another name. I've heard that name several times before. I think he's a producer. Or he could even be a director. But he's, I know the name John Grissom. He apparently was another one um, who went after Corey Feldman. So, yeah, avoid... I should have actually got the list up here. But then again, I don't know the full proper list. All I know is the guaranteed ones are John Grissom and Charlie Sheen. So, um. 
don't know why I'm telling you to avoid them. Most people who listen to this probably aren't going to be near these cunts, but in general, avoid uh, avoid these people. But now that's the the grim shite out of the way. I want to move on to more enjoyable review related shite. There was a few things I wanted to mention actually. That obviously I forgot to say this last week. I think I heard it that day or maybe the day before, but. HBO are going to be producing a Last of Us TV series with Craig Mazin, the guy who was behind Chernobyl. And I am extremely on board. I didn't think I would be this. For years I've been saying to myself, I'd love to see a movie, but I also wouldn't because I feel like people will fuck it up and it'll just be shitty generic zombie action nonsense. Because the game plays out because you're so invested in it. It's like you can finish that game and... I mean, if you're really rushing through it, you can finish it in a few hours, really, maybe 12 hours. Or it could be less. I, I mean, when I first played it, I completed it in about 20 hours, but I was really, like, investigating every nook and cranny in the level and looking for stuff and really exploring it. But if you're speedrunning the game, you could actually finish it in a few hours. But I was thinking to myself, people will fuck this up because it's such a it's a long, powerful drama game, nearly, with, with all this stuff going on. It's so much character development... And I think a film would, or I suppose a film definitely would uh, would fuck that up. But a series gives a lot of time for character development and a lot can happen in it. But I feel like, I don't know, because you could play a good half hour of that game where you're just wandering around talking and not much is happening in terms of action and things like that. But how that would translate if you're not in control of it might be a bit strange. But they're behind it anyway. And there's rumoured cast. Now I fucking have already forgotten the name of the woman who's going to play Ellie so let me check okay people are expecting or suspecting what's the word predicting let's say that uh, an actress named Caitlin Dever will play Ellie and just looking at her picture here she actually would be a really good choice for it she kind of she kind of looks similar but what I saw was someone had made a really good edit of one of the posters for Last of Us and had put her face and the person they want for Joel. Now I'd been saying for ages that if this was going to be made. It has to be Hugh Jackman. Because Hugh Jackman. His look in Prisoners. And I suppose his behaviour in Logan. Are just. They're perfect for the character of Joel. I think he'd do an amazing job at it. But someone gave this prediction. And now I actually can't unsee it. And I would fucking love for him to do it. And that's uh, Nikolai Costawalo. Who plays Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones. He surprisingly looks perfect for the role. And he actually is the right age for it too. Because he's actually, even though he looks quite young, he's been around a long time now. He's a perfect choice for it. And now I'm hoping that if they're going to go through with the show, that they are the two people for it. Because, I mean, obviously he has ties to HBO anyway with Game of Thrones. So he'd be a perfect choice. I'm not sure about Caitlin Dever. I don't know if I've actually seen her or anything. I mean, she looks familiar, but I don't know. Like, she could just have that look. But fucking hell, they'd be, she'd be a perfect choice. I want the show, like, I mean, I trust Craig Mays, and it was the level of detail that was in Chernobyl, where it could have the tensity and the real-life horror of it, but also had loads of character development, and it was never boring, which is always the biggest sin with movies, which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes with some of the shit that I watched, or one piece of shit, anyway. But I think he would do a really good job at bringing these characters out, making the story go at a decent pace. It needs to be long. Like, this is the kind of thing where I don't think... A fucking six part miniseries is going to cut it because there's a lot going on if they're going to stick to the actual plot of the game which I mean see that's the hard thing as well when it comes to adaptations a lot of people anyway don't want direct adaptations 
because I could be like, well, I could just play the game. Why would I bother sitting through this shit if I could just do the exact same thing that I'm doing at home and I have full control of it? I like to think that they'll take a few liberties, but they're not going to stray too far because the story of the game is so good. Uh, if they if they just did some side stuff or, or did a bit more on the fireflies and and maybe before what's happening in the game, that would be class. But I I I do want to see that story told really well with the right people involved. I think if it just goes its own, like I mean, look at the Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Oh, they did such a fucking. I, I don't even want to get into the Walking Dead now because I'm just gonna get a fucking headache. But that I remember reading the comics that I got from the library and being jaw dropped by it going this is fucking amazing like it's so dark and fearless and the whole idea like the, the show tried to get this reputation that Game of Thrones had because Game of Thrones eventually wrote so much character armor that there was no one going to get killed off but Game of Thrones is known for in any episode anyone can go you can be following this character going oh he's a great fucking character and then suddenly he's dead and you're like shit like I didn't expect that I didn't know what was going to happen the Walking Dead series tried to do something similar you might care about some characters, but you didn't care enough about them that when they died, you were like, oh no, Like it's, you're just sitting there going, eh. kind of shit. But with, uh, although there was like, they, they had that big cliffhanger, that was a cheap fucking idea. But the, the comic book, like, people would die in it, and you're like, oh bollocks, like I wasn't expecting that, it doesn't feel cheap, it doesn't feel like they just build you up, it just feels like anything can fucking happen to any character at any time. And you're, you never feel safe when you were reading, like, what was going to happen to these characters. The show then decided, right, we're going to go a different direction from the comics. We're going to take the basic bare bones of some of the characters and we're going to run with it our own way. They abandoned that so quickly and just decided, okay, we actually don't have a good enough story on our own. We're going to revert back to the comics, but they've already changed so many characters, got rid of so many characters, didn't introduce any characters that were in these certain parts. And they just were digging their hands through shit, trying to fucking find something good. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it's a show that I gave so many free passes to. Because. I mean like when you watch zombie stuff. You want gory fun violence. And it did have some of that. But it's like the show was banking on that being the only selling point. The effects actually look shit in some parts. And people were just going. Oh it's the best zombie effects I've ever seen. It's like it's not really. Some parts look fantastic. Some parts don't. And I think people. People who were mad into gore movies. Were just giving the show a free pass. And not really thinking about how poorly written it was. How shit the characters are. How fucking boring it was. How ugly the show looked. It just. It had nothing really going for it. But. I mean. What they were doing at first was interesting. And smart. And I was actually with the show for a few seasons before it turned into this absolute shit. But the thing is. I don't want people who are making The Last of Us to go. Okay we're going to go this direction and then they realize oh fuck we actually or no they start off with the basic idea and go a different direction but i don't want them halfway to go fuck we actually don't really have a good enough idea here we're going to revert back and try incorporate the elements of the game that people know and then they've already changed so much that it doesn't come together properly or flow naturally and it ends up being a pot of shit that is the ultimate sin now i trust craig mason won't do that but fucking hell i just want i just want this to be so fucking good because it's probably my, like I've, I mean, I've got so many favorite games. I love Super Fucking Mario and Grand Theft Auto games, but this game is probably the most immersive. And likes of Red Dead Two as well would be very, very close to this. But I remember the last of I was just totally immersed. I finished it over two nights. I started it once or twice actually with some friends, and I was like, ah, I will get back to it. And then one time I was like, okay, I'm gonna actually just power through this. 
and over two nights I just got through the whole game and I was just so completely immersed and invested in these characters and the tension was much bigger that way because it wasn't just a game where I'm like okay there's 10 cunts in this room I have to run in with two guns shoot them blah blah none of that shit this is I have to protect this character and this character has to protect me in certain scenarios and we have to not get detected by these things or we're fucked and I had that level of tension the whole time and it's rare that a game does that because most games you're just like oh this would be tough I'll just run in and out of there this game you're actually afraid that I will get caught here and I will die I need to get past this undetected like the the, the stakes are very real in the game because you care about the characters and because the, the actual villains in it whether they're human or a creature are fucking arse tightingly tense although the people aren't as uh, as bad it's just that they're they're smarter but fucking hell like some of the situations you get in this game are heart stopping and it's rare a game can do that as I said, a different kind of... It would be a different kind of horror to the likes of PT or Silent Hill or anything like that. But it's it, it has a real life horror element because you care about these characters. Please HBO and Craig Mason, make this work. Make it work. Use those two actors because they are fucking perfect. Just by the look of them. I mean, obviously, Nikolai Costawalo is a good actor anyway. So I trust he would do a very good job as Joel. I'd be interested to hear what his accent's like though. I don't think I've... Have I ever heard him even do an American accent? Because Joel has a pretty distinct, what would you call it, Middle America, I suppose, his kind of voice. And, I mean, Ellie, like, there was a whole thing about Ellie being, her image copied off Ellen Page. And I think the first images of the game, she actually looked really, really like her, to the point where they were like, this is outrageous. And I think that Beyond, was it Beyond Two Souls? There was some game Ellen Page lent her face to, and, oh, I suppose her whole performance captured her, but... I think there was a big issue with that. They like we don't want these two games having the same person in it, and they were just like, okay, we'll slightly change it. So she lo- doesn't look like Ellen Page, but she's more or less Ellen Page. And I think if there was ever going to be a movie, they wanted her to play it. But I think at this stage, she's probably too old to do it because I mean, Ellie's meant to be what fourteen or something. And I actually don't know how old Caitlin Dever is, but she could probably pass for a mid teenager anyway. And Nikolai Costawalo even though he's probably about 50 himself would actually be perfect for Joel because jo- I remember when I was playing the game I was like fucking hell like Joel, <laughs> Joel looks like he's only like in his late 30s and it's supposed to be 20 years after this outbreak but it actually makes a lot of sense if you look at the likes of Hugh Jackman and Nick Lagostawala they're, they're fucking perfect choices so fingers crossed that this comes out the way I wanted to well the way everyone wants it to I don't, I don't know anyone who doesn't want it to come out perfect but if anyone was going to do it it's going to be HBO and it's going to be Craig Mason. I have full, full faith in them. Full faith in the potential cast. I hope they get cast. I think at this stage it's uh, it's a bit like it with It Part 2. And you had... I can't even remember the girl's name now. She plays... Fuck, I don't even remember the names. It's been a while since I've watched the It films. But she's actually... This, this actress, I'm going to find out her name purely because she's in something I fucking watched there recently. Sophia Lillis. Or Lilies, whatever way you want to pronounce it. When they were asked who they wanted to play them in it too when they're older, she said Jennifer Lawrence. Or no, not Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer, Jessica Chastain. And she's like, I want her to play me. I think she'd be perfect. And then there was a whole fan outcry. Or not, well, is outcry the word? I suppose fans just got together and said, We want her to play you too. Let's fucking make this happen. And there's a big campaign, let's say. And she ended up actually playing her. Although I think. Because Sophia Lillis or Lilies, she looks more like Amy Adams. I think Amy Adams should have played her in It Chapter 2. I also think It Chapter 2 should have been way, way fucking better. But 
I think because now people have said we want Nikolai Costawalo and we want Caitlin Dever, let's make this fucking happen. Maybe it will actually happen. Maybe people will see this and go, yeah, they're actually both the right choices. Although some people are actually speculating that Sophia Lillis herself could be the one to play her. I don't know. I don't think she'd suit the character. There's also speculation, obviously, Hugh Jackman, but Jared Butler. I think Jared Butler is fine. He does what he needs to well. I don't trust him to take this on board. I don't trust him to have the emotional range for it. He'd have the tough guy range. He'd have the action range. He'd be really good in that aspect. But I think Nikolai Kostrovalo is a better actor. He'd be able to do the gritty action scenes really well. Because I mean, in Game of Thrones, when he has to fight in it, he's fucking great. And he handles the emotional scenes really well. He was one of the few characters in the, in the final season that was actually most interesting. So I think he'd do a fucking great job at it. I won't stick on this any longer. Make it happen. HBO, please, please, please do this right. Or right, even. Another bit of movie news. Now, I don't know a lot of the, the titles of movies here, but when it comes to Paramount releases, over here, they just don't give a single fuck about Blu-ray releases. It's like they're, it's like they're just totally late to the fucking whole scene. And they don't realise that despite, in certain ways physical media taking a step a back seat in terms of what people want that there's a huge demand for them and actually they're, they're coming back it's coming back quite well i mean the amount of boutique labels that are out now doing amazing work and they're putting in like high quality serious 4k transfer special editions with big hard boxes on them shitloads of extras and soundtracks coming in the box set amazing commission artwork for some shitty fucking garbage early 80s fucking sorcery movie that no one gives a shit about and they're given serious treatment to it that goes to show that there's still a demand and people still want these things and i like that it's given respect to these movies even if i think they're shite there is an audience out there and thankfully that audience is getting what they're looking for now people will argue oh why are you wasting your time on this and that's like, no people like this just because you don't like it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be releasing this these these things are in demand and it is coming back. It's it's like the resurgence of vinyl. Like vinyl for years. I guarantee if 10 years ago if people saw vinyl. They'd laugh their haul off. And they'd fucking rest their drinks on it. But now. Every shop's doing it. Fucking Duns are doing it. Regular fucking supermarkets are now selling vinyl. Because they know how popular it is. And. While I don't see DVD having that much of a comeback. Blu-ray. Is just getting better and better. More people are turning to it. A lot more people are going physical now. As well. Because you look at Netflix. I think recently they wanted to get rid of, or they did get rid of, a whole shitload of BBC stuff. Because now BBC are setting up their own British streaming service. You have all, the, like, HBO stuff's not available now. You have to have HBO Go. And unless you have a VPN or you're in America, you don't get that. And stuff that Prime gets that now Netflix won't get. Stuff that goes from Netflix because certain studios, like all the Disney shit. All the Avengers shit used to be on Netflix. All that's fucking gone now because Disney Plus has come in and they're bringing it their streaming service. So it's all moving around. You're all eventually going to have to have six or seven different subscriptions to the likes of Shudder, Movie, fucking Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Apple fucking TV. All these different things are coming in now. And it's like, okay, you're going to be spending, if you were to subscribe to all these things, if you liked all these movies enough, you're going to be spending over 100 quid a month probably, or more, just to get all this shit. It's like... If you're going to be spending that much money on it anyway. Because the whole thing is. People always use the example of. Why would I buy it if I can just download it. It's like okay. Well you're still spending a hundred and something quid a month. On all these subscriptions. So you're not really winning here are you. I think. 
when people realise that the stuff they like, because I know people, they make a list, they go, oh, I love these movies, they're all on Netflix. No, they're not. They've all been moved. I think the Harry Potter fucking things have been moved or whatever. It's like, okay, now you don't have your Harry Potter. What are you going to do? You can download it, yeah, but it won't be as good quality. You could be waiting for it. You could get in trouble for it. You can fucking buy it. And more people are buying it, whether it be DVD or Blu-ray. I think I think a resurgence, much like vinyl, is going to happen for Blu-ray. Or just general physical media with movies. Because I think people are getting head wrecked being stuck. And trying to find downloads. And trying to find fucking streaming services that have it. And it's it's kind of great. Like if you... You can get ahead of the curve now. Because I guarantee you there's fucking charity shops. And small shops in town that were selling fucking... Led Zeppelin vinyls for a fiver. Going, oh yeah, we'll just get rid of them. People still like them, whatever. And now they're jacking the price up to fucking 30, 40 quid for vinyls. If you get into charity shops now... Or second-hand shops. You can buy DVDs and Blu-rays for a quid. I got a pile of them there recently. I was, I'll list some of them. I got, I got the likes of A Few Good Men, Taken, Step Brothers, Tropic Thunder, uh, Street Kings, and Million Dollar Baby. There, that was a pile that I found in a charity shop for a euro each. And it's like, that's fucking unbelievable. And then you have the likes of Deals, which are selling stuff for one and two quid each and three quid. If you, if you want to get in ahead of the curve... You can get all these fucking movies for next to nothing before it becomes a thing where it's going to be a shitload of money to get all these things. It's like VHS collectors. Now VHS, in theory, should be pay one cent for the fucking things. But there's such a demand now. If you can find a VHS of fucking some horror movie from the 80s, Nightmare on Elm Street, people will pay huge fucking money for it because the demand comes back. And it's going to happen with Blu-ray and DVD. And I'm glad because physical formats need to stay alive. Because these people who are downloading shit, how do you fucking think those things are available? Someone has to buy them and put them up. You need physical media. People need to start fucking buying it. And it's so much better. Because I was even just thinking there recently. Someone posted a picture of some Korean fucking concert or something that they had. And a box set. And I just looked at it and the artwork's amazing. And I actually miss when you'd have a box set. Whether it be from this country or somewhere else. And it'd just be an amazing, serious box that has loads of details on the inside, booklets, artwork, amazing shit. And it already, before you watch whatever you're going to watch, you're sucked into that world by looking at all this stuff that you have with it. And it creates an atmosphere that before you put it on, like it's it's different than just going through Netflix and going, oh, I'll watch that. You actually have physical product full of information and artwork and all this stuff to just, it's just a full circle fucking atmospheric experience that you're gonna get totally different you know a lot of people might not get that they'll just have something sitting on a shelf means nothing to them but i think it's a lot more satisfying especially if it's a movie you love like that old boy box set that arrow did that comes with the other two films of the avengers trilogy like just opening that already fucking sets a mood of oh, i actually can't wait to watch this now even when i bought it i'd watched the film again in the cinema about two months before i got it and as soon as i got the box i was like i actually want to watch this now just the atmosphere of opening this and seeing all the stuff that comes with it it just makes it so much fucking more exciting. So the reason I say this is that Paramount were late to the game. They were pretty much, it was looking like they were going to be set on just releasing stuff, streaming and not putting any interest in. Any fucking Paramount Blu-rays that came out had shit artwork. Like it would just be a fucking, let's say Steve Martin's in it. It would just be him standing there smiling. Oh, this movie is Steve Martin. There you go. No one give a fuck about that. And I've been put off buying stuff several times. I remember when Kingsman came out. The Blu-ray artwork for that was just five of the lads in the movie stand there in a totally white background. I was like, 
that is the shittest fucking cover. I actually refuse to buy this. Luckily, I found an exclusive HMV cover, which is really nice and has a, a picture of the kind of secret gun rack that they have in the movie. I was like, that's fucking deadly. I'm going to get that. Like, artwork can make a big fucking difference as far as I'm concerned. But these movies, they just... I've refused to buy several Paramount movies because the artwork's so shit. I'm like, I actually don't want to waste my money on it. And I look around and I find better versions from the likes of Germany or from Italy or even America. Like, I look for better versions. But Paramount have now announced that they're going to be getting in on this whole boutique label thing. And they're going to have an exclusive collector's editions of several movies. I forget the movies they mentioned, but this is an, a great door to open. Because it means that they're not only having their own boutique label, which is good. But they're the fact they're releasing them themselves means that any kind of... Like, there's always problems when it comes to distribution and rights to certain extras and things like that. If they're behind them, then it's all going to probably be there. You're going to have extensive loaded extras on these things. Hopefully new prints on a lot of these movies. But it means the likes of 48 Hours are going to get like a fucking savage special edition over here, which we've been waiting on forever. I, I just think this is a good door that they're opening and it's... I'm glad they're getting in on the game. And if it, if it expands and they get a serious label going with all the old shit you've always wanted to get that they haven't bought it, they're arsed to put it out on Blu-ray yet, then I think you're going to be in good hands. So, thank fuck they've decided to bother their arse doing this because it's been too fucking long i've been waiting for a decent 48 hours blu-ray there is one from germany but here's the thing as much as i love getting stuff from german amazon because they have lovely artwork they have savage special editions of whatever else it wrecks my head when the titles aren't in english uh like i have year of the dragon a fucking amazing crime thriller from the mid 80s with mickey rourke in it that michael cimino made and it has the perfect artwork it's the artwork i've always wanted for it but it just it has it in german on the cover and it just it just looks way less cool. <laughs> so, if uh, I like that, a lot of German places though are actually just doing the proper titles. They might have the German title along with it, or in smaller writing there, but they're they're sticking with the main title. Um, but yeah, to save myself having to fucking get the the wrong version of a movie, I'm gonna hopefully get proper versions from Paramount. Now, I think so far this could just be an American thing. I'm hoping that it is a worldwide thing because their whole library was in a vault nearly. Like they weren't ever going to fucking release it. Because they had no interest. So hopefully worldwide there's going to be. A serious explosion of Paramount titles. Coming to Blu-ray now. Under their own boutique label. Thumbs up. Fingers crossed. All that shit. Let's make it happen. Well I don't know why I'm saying let's make it happen. We can't do fucking anything about it. But let's hope it happens. So there. Another thing uh, just briefly about. The whole Corona fucking thing. And idiots going to fucking pubs and whatever else. When I mentioned that I didn't get to go to the cinema, there was an option because cinemas are actually still fucking open. The IFI were smart and said we're going to close up and we're not going to open. I think it's the 29th is when they said they're going to come back. So that's two or so weeks, two weeks from now actually. And the Stella Cinema has now decided they're not going to stay open either. But all these cinemas were, were just like going, okay, we're going to have a policy where we're selling half the amount of tickets and you have to sit a seat apart. It's like, that's not going to do fuck all. You're still trapped in a hot room. Especially the lighthouse. The lighthouse, I love the cinema. It's cosy and everything else. But a hot room full of coughing cunts is not going to fucking do any favours for anyone. You don't need to go to the cinema. You can wait fucking two weeks without it. So, I think the likes of Cineworld and probably the lighthouse are going to follow suit now with all the other ones closing down. And it's the right thing to do. But I just I just found it fucking hilarious that they thought that would make a difference. It's like, okay, yeah, you're, uh, you're two feet away from each other now. You can still be coughing and spewing, but you're two feet away from each other. Look at you. Nonsense. 
But anyway, uh, I mentioned how I saw a series with Sophie Littis. Or Lily... Oh, God. Sophie Littis. That's what I'm just going to call her from now on. Whether it's right or wrong. Because I can't be fucked. It's a new series that came straight to Netflix. And it stars herself and Wyatt Olaf. The two of which were in It Chapter 1. Uh, I don't remember their fucking characters names. But they're both in it. And they're both good in it. Although Wyatt Olaf kind of... He, in this he plays a character more akin to uh, Finn Wolfhard in Stranger Things. He, he seems a bit more quirky and fun in this. Whereas in... Or not in Stranger Things. Finn Wolfhard in It Chapter 2. Um, he's a bit more com- comedy... Comedic relief? Why can't I say that word right? Comic relief. That's the word. And in this he's a bit quirky and a bit strange. Whereas in It Chapter 2 he was kind of geeky and quiet and shy and scared whatever else but the two of them are in this and it's created by Jonathan Entwistle and I have to remember the guy's name who fucking wrote John Entwistle that's a fucking bass player from The Who I think interesting interesting name to have Um, but the writer of it I have to try and remember his name now is uh, Charles S. Forsman and he was the two of them actually worked together on a series that I, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was talking about it because I said I'd watched the first episode of this. It's called I am not o- I am not okay with this. And there was a show called The End of the Fucking World that was on Channel Four. No one watched it. Netflix picked it up. Everyone watched it, and then season two appeared on Netflix, and people were blown away by it. This show, for the first episode, and obviously it's in America. That was in England. This is in America now. I was thinking oh fuck this looks exactly the same but there is the added thing of Sophia Lewis's character having superpowers or potential telekinesis of some sort I thought oh fuck this is just going to be the same thing it's going to be shy so I was reluctant to continue it even though I was going to I just wasn't in a hurry to I eventually started watching it finished it all in one go one go last night because it's it's so short it's actually ridiculously short to the point where it just should have been released as a movie. It's about two and a half hours. The whole series. And some episodes are about 17 minutes. Some episodes are 23 minutes. I know people don't like the, like It's the whole binging mentality. They feel like if they can stop anytime they want. Then they won't. But if they can't stop. Then they, they feel like it's a bigger chore to watch the fucking show. This is so brisk. It's very good though. Because after that first episode I was a bit like. Eh. And then immediately it goes in a different direction. However, it is still very predictable. It is still nothing exactly new. And it does it does borrow a lot of elements from the end of the fucking world. And I actually had a look at your man uh, Forsman's comics. And I really don't like the look of them. Writing wise, I'm sure they're great. Because the writing on both these shows is actually really good. But I really hate the art style. It looks like it's from a children's book or something. It just, it just bothered me. But... This show, very interesting. It looks really nice. It's shot digitally, but it lo- has a really good look to it. The cinematography is really nice. It doesn't feel over the top. I think when people think about nice cinematography, it has to always be some incredible detailed shots. Like, no, just really simple. Once it looks good, once it looks rich, crisp, and decent, that's all that matters. A lot of needle drops throughout this. A lot of great ones now. Lots of 80s music. It kind of has a, a sort of... Like it follows a weird timeless look to it. Because there's times where it looks like it definitely is in the 80s. Then it has a bit of a 90s look. Could be mid-90s. Then it's modern day with the, the use of phones and whatnot. So it's 
like I remember it follows like it has a very clear 80s feel to it but then they're using this device that looks like it's from no fucking time period like it's supposed to be a phone but it also looks like a makeup mirror and it's just really bizarre this has a similar kind of feel to it where it feels like it's in a different time and place but it that actually serves it quite well because you can progress the story with modern situations but it has an atmosphere akin to the likes of the breakfast club around that kind of time that that 80s brat pack kind of style and uh yeah i think overall it was enjoyable i think it like i said does nothing new it looks like it's going to lead to a really good second series which probably again won't be out until next year which is a long time but really this should just be releasing these as movies this this would have been a really solid good netflix movie that you're like well a good two and a half hour strong character driven fun story but then again actually there is elements to it that would require an episodic feel but it just i don't know it's i feel it's hard to justify something that's that short broken up into several episodes but uh yeah definitely worth a watch it's called i am not okay with this it's on netflix you can watch it all now same at the end of the fucking world i'd I'd recommend both of those i don't know which i'd recommend first maybe the end of the fucking world because i think that sets up the tone and atmosphere that you can expect with this one but this one is a bit or way less cynical because the end of the fucking world is a very cynical show as fun as it is uh, and it's a lot darker this is this is more straight up comedy with there is tinges of, of drama stuff in there but this feels a lot more fun and exciting let's say but yeah like i said nothing new very entertaining well worth a watch there's something that actually popped up in my facebook memories and obviously if you use facebook you know that they have a thing where it shows you what you've posted the last decade or so depending on how long you've been on there on whatever day it is so you're like oh relieve your memories of something you posted in fucking 2012 whatever else and it was something that came up last year that i with all my talk about certificates i i don't know how i forgot to actually fucking mention it and it was last year i think it was last year the bbfc rated for a cinema re-release of Monty Python's Life of Brian, they rated it twelves, and I thought that is fucking excellent because that is a movie. Despite the amount of f words it has in it, despite the fact it has full frontal male and female nudity, and some comic violence, really, it's not that offensive a movie in those aspects. I mean, these are all the elements that you, when you see them, you go, okay, that's an R rating, or that's a fifteens or an eighteens movie. But in this case, it's it's a movie that doesn't deserve that. It's a fun romp of a movie that I think anyone should be allowed to watch. And if I had my own rating system, that would have gone into that, that middle tier of teen movies that any people that age can watch. Because it's fine. It's a really fucking funny movie. It's really entertaining. The nudity is used for a reason in the fucking movie. Now, the swearing you can kind of get behind. That. Oh, yeah, it's a bit excessive because there's a lot of F-words in it. But it's really fucking funny. And I just think... I don't know why the BBFC have shown that bit of intelligence where they could see that, yeah, it doesn't really deserve higher than a 12. We'll give it a 12, it'd be grand. I think it might have stayed in 15s here, I can't remember. But I don't know why they make these smart decisions that way and they have a, an understanding. It's like they're looking at something really objectively and smart and going, okay, this this is inoffensive material. Yeah, maybe not for more than a 12-year-old, but this is something that's fine. We'll downgrade the rating to this yet for so many other things out there like midnight run that i mentioned before that they're gonna go no this has to be an 18 cert it's bananas to me um and i just remembered now 
when I was talking about last week as well the the Subway Monkey era thing and just the different certifications I remember when Michael Collins came out and we watched that in school when we were about fucking 10 and it has a 12s rating over here but in England it was 15s and I think it was an R rating in America there's some fucking there's a lot of swearing in it and there's some nasty fucking violence in it but because the the historical context they were able to give it a 12s rating and similar although this is not in a historical sense but that movie Intermission probably my favourite Irish film I might have mentioned it um, on one of the earlier episodes which is uh, again uh, one of those things where they, they take another movie and they try push the movie that way they go oh it's Ireland's answer to Trainspotting no it isn't it's fucking nothing like Trainspotting load of bollocks but that had an 18th cert in England because obviously it says cunt a whole lot of times which is just a fucking a regular word over here and loads of fucking swearing there's a bit of sex in it and some violence it's just really fun gritty like it's a it's a romantic comedy at heart while it has these kind of criminal aspects to it and a lot of language but it has a 15s here and i think that's because they're like ah it's an irish film we know what it's like we know what's good and bad but it has an 18th in england for the same reason and it's just ah the whole system i'm not even going to get into it again because i think i've spent four or five episodes now just talking about my displeasure with the rating systems all over the world now i'll still mention it if more of these ridiculous things pop up but i just it's just that i remember now that life of brian was dropped down to a 12s rating and it, it, it put a glimmer of hope on me i think i remember in the post that i shared i was like oh maybe the bbfc are finally getting their heads out of their arses they're having their bollocks they, they get out a tiny bit just so they can go oh, look what we did and then they stuff their fucking head back in up to the neck so i don't know I, i'm still campaigning for everyone out there to abolish these fucking rating systems and get something smarter in there because Life of Brian is a hilarious movie and I know for a fact kids would find it hilarious. Even if they don't get all the religious references, it is still a fucking hilarious movie. And it has arguably one of the, probably the funniest scene ever put to film. That's high praise. Even though Raising Arizona is my favourite comedy and that probably has one as well. But there's a scene in this, that anyone who's seen it knows, the biggest, thickest scene, is I literally can't help but nearly piss myself laughing at it every time I watch it. And I would love to have been there on set while they shot that scene. Because I can imagine it would have been torture. But in the best way possible. So, yeah. That's just a a small branch off there talking about how the ratings are still stupid. But I'm going to get on to now my issues. Or not my issues. I've just talked about all my issues. Well, my movie issues. Um, But no, some of the ratings. Although I did want to talk about last time a Blu-ray that I have. Now the reason I wanted to mention it is because there is this independent label which unfortunately I think they've gone bust and I tried to find a bit of information about them there's not a lot but they released this movie and I had never even heard of the movie but I immediately bought this blu-ray when I saw it. Now this blu-ray is out of print and it's gone for fucking mad money and I luckily got it for I think £8. Uh, It didn't deliver to Ireland though I think I had to use Parcel Motel or something like that or bought it off some supplier on amazon but it's a movie called stage fright and it's directed by michel suavi or sovi i don't know how you pronounce his name but he's an italian horror movie maker he did a lot of he did movies that i've been meaning to see for years like the sect and the church and he has a really distinct style from what i've seen and this movie is kind of a slasher kind of a jello really just entertaining fun stylish really well made and 
the thing that stuck out to me again here's me going on about fucking certs is first of all the artwork is amazing on it and it's the original artwork or one of the original pieces of artwork because almost every bit of artwork for this movie is fucking class but this one is just really fucking good and i actually think i'll post a picture of the artwork underneath my post on facebook or i'll stick it on instagram as well just so you can actually see what it looks like but it has the original 1980s bbfc 18 cert on it so they really wanted to capture this classic look to these releases so that it looks exactly like the kind of cover you would have had back in the 80s even the, the kind of pre-search stuff as well it looks like one of these movies and that immediately caught my eye and then i looked at it and said like it's a brand new transfer completely uncut comes with a dvd and blu-ray loads of extras and i thought geez that sounds fucking deadly i'm gonna buy that and i did and i watched it and it was class i really fucking liked the film really fun amazing looking movie really stylish cinematic has a really jello kind of look to it good music and some creative fucking nasty fucking stuff goes on in it i mean the plot of the movie like just follows a basic kind of slasher idea it's a, a dance group who are uh, practicing in a, an old theater at night and they get locked in the same time as a crazed murdering lunatic escapes from an asylum nearby and he manages to get into where they're practicing and has because it's a theater company it has loads of fucking outfits he dons a gigantic l mask and it's this really intimidating mad looking fucking mask and he goes around taking everyone out so pretty standard idea but it's just the way it's directed and how stylish it is it's just fucking great but the thing is when i got this it has the date of the movie on the side of it and then it has the number one so i thought okay this is the first release in what will be many now if you look at the 88 film slasher collection they have numbered boxes on each one so you know okay you can get a full collection of these like, any collector eats that shit up and same with fucking is it criterion i think criterion might have numbers as well and i mean 101 films have their black label where they've numbered releases on the side too so all these kind of numbered releases are catnip for collectors and i think it's actually it's a sneaky idea too because there's a lot of movies on that slasher collection i wouldn't bother my hole with but if i was getting all these movies as a collector i'd be like i actually fucking really want to have all of this stuff but i remember when i got this blu-ray i'm actually just looking at it now first of all obviously the discs are fucking quality as well the book that comes with it loads of details it has all the original artwork tells you all about the the scan and how they restored it and it shows the comparisons then between the original releases and or the original dvd release that came out i think somewhere might have been germany as well actually but it shows how the, the actual quality of that was bollocks and how they've restored that and it looks better now it's proper aspect ratio proper color amazing job and i thought okay these lads are gonna fucking go somewhere as an extra on it it shows what's coming next now actually sorry, i meant to mention the label the label are called exposure cinema and they released a trailer for i think it was zombie holocaust and it's about five minutes and it just shows this amazing restored footage from the movie all the original gore that was cut out of it years ago reinserted and it just looks like this is going to be an amazing release never came out of anywhere the cover for it i remember i think there was a supposed to be released for it on amazon and that disappeared nothing about it i thought what the fuck and then i think it might have actually been 88 films that i think about it who released it and i thought that's a bit strange i thought it was supposed to be because is it 88 films so i know there's an italian collection and i think that could be 88 films that do it 
and I'm pretty sure that might have been in it. But it just never came out until why that happened. And it seems that they've gone bust. Or at least that they're just going nowhere now. Because there's nothing for them. There's no real information about them online. Other than this stage fight release. And I can't understand why. Because they've done such a fucking amazing job. They've done a lot of stuff that appeals. They have amazing artwork. Now it's not reversible sleeve or anything. But it doesn't need to be when you have the fucking original artwork on it. It has the old certification on it. To give it a nostalgic feel. It has amazing extras. It has a savage booklet. It's all really good quality. And it's... I, I just can't... And it's obviously it's uncut as well. And a restored version of the movie. They've done everything right. They've done everything these labels are supposed to do. Yet... Nothing has happened with them. And they've just disappeared off the map. And it's just... It's a damn fucking shame. Because there's so many independent labels coming out now. And like I said... Look at Paramount. They're jumping on the bandwagon now. I'd like to see these guys get another chance because they've done a fucking superb job with this movie. And this came out, I'm trying to think, well the movie came out in 87, but this Blu-ray is, it says 2014 on the back that this came out. And I think I got it maybe, could have been four years ago actually, yes it wasn't too long afterwards. But as soon as I saw it I grabbed it and I'm glad I did because that's going for fucking serious money now. I really just fucking wish that someone would give these people another chance because they've done such a good job. They clearly know what they're doing. They know what the fans want. And like I said, Zombie Holocaust is one that people were dying for. Now they have it. And now I actually haven't heard any review on that other Blu-ray or what people think about it. But I can't see why they lost the rights for that. Maybe because it was a different label and they thought actually we'd rather release it with this one. But seeing the quality these guys have done, I mean, that, that should have had them set for life. I mean, look at Indicator. Indicator, they release, their first two releases are the first two I got. And that's body double and christine and immediately i thought okay these lads are fucking seriously good they're ones to watch and they've exploded now they have been releasing incredible stuff all with original artwork loads of fucking detail in their boxes they put in real work i i want these lads to get another chance because i think they've done a fucking great job i know shameless have released the church and the sect and they're apparently fantastic transfers, but they're kind of known for shitty artwork and shitty boxes. And I've seen them, and they're not great. I would much prefer if these lads were able to get a hold of them and do a seriously good release. Because, I don't know, it's 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 that internal thing of wanting to support the little guy and want them to work, uh, work out and do their best. Because these have shown serious quality, and it's, uh, it's just a damn shame. And... Obviously, Stage Fright is one to fucking see. If you can get a copy of it cheap, I would recommend doing it because it's the best transfer to film you're ever going to see. Well, unless they do a 4K scan, you know, all that bollocks. But this is just fucking top tier, really enjoyable movie as well. And, yeah, I just, I just want them to get another chance. And check out Stage Fright if you get a chance. Don't mix it up, though. There's, there's a, a musical horror comedy blend that came out a few years ago called Stage Fight. And actually Meatloaf was in it. And it was a, a slasher movie. I think it was a Mini Driver was in it too. Uh, amazing artwork. Shitty fucking movie. So don't mix up them. This is from 1987. Uh, Michel Suave. That's how I think you say his name. It's Italian. Um, and actually that's just something about comedy horror in, in general. It's a, a mix of things that I find very annoying about it. Because a lot of comedy horror movies don't commit themselves to either genre and i've noticed that you'll see 
a horror movie that they don't feel they can be scary enough so they interject loads of comedy just because it covers them then so if people aren't scared they can at least get a laugh out of it and they feel like they've done something right and the same goes for the other way if, if it's a movie that's not all that funny they add a bit of a horror element to get people involved and going okay well it's not really that funny but the gore is great and whatever else it's kind of i think it's cheap and it's, it's rare a horror comedy works really well sometimes they do sometimes they're brilliant but it just feels lazy in a lot of ways so I'm all, and, I, and I, what annoys me is so many ideas that would actually work if played seriously it's like they don't trust themselves and they just make it a comedy and just exploitation films in general of today are like that where you'll have these movies that are inspired by crazy fucking acid tripping biker fucking lunatics movies that came out in the cinema or cinema in the 70s where like there'll be fucking lunatic biker lads who are going on fucking going around gang raping and killing and fucking robbing and drug dealing and all this crazy fucking exploitation shit that used to go on then but they do it nowadays and instead of actually doing it to be like cause those movies came out because they were like oh this would be fucking crazy we're gonna we're gonna scare teenagers we're gonna make this and that they come out now and they go okay let's make it as shit as possible let's just have references to all these things and let's make it a comedy because we know no one will take this movie seriously that's because you're not giving the movie a chance if a fucking intense fucked up biker thriller came out nowadays and it was played seriously it could actually be quite effective but instead they're just like oh let's just make it as over the top and stupid as we can any kind of movie that it borrows from 80s exploitation or 70s exploitation always has to be purposely cheaply made which wrecks my fucking head that, that's one of the things that pisses me off about trauma if you look at some of the I, actually i've ever seen uh what the fuck are they called return to newcomb high or, or there was there was class from newcomb high that came out in the mid 80s and then return to newcomb high which there was two movies that came out in the it was like 2014 and 17 around those times they came out and if you look at the first one obviously it's cheap it's schlocky as fuck it's daft and it is a bit of a comedy but they're really trying you can see they're going okay we want to make this scene have a big gory creepy gooey monster and do all this stuff they're really trying but it just happens to look like shit because you know, they had fuck all budget but it's like nowadays they're trying their hardest for it to look as shit as possible just to be like oh yeah it's trash it's supposed to be shit it's like no you were trying before it just was schlocky and dumb when you're trying to be shit it doesn't work and i see that happen with all the exploitation stuff that comes out now they just throw comedy in because it's like they've no faith in their ideas actually being treated right and that's why i like when you'll have like directors like your man joe begos or begos who'll have an idea that could just be played off as a shitty comedy but he actually plays it serious even if there's humorous moments even if it's daft he puts some effort in to make it serious he keeps it grounded in that sense and i just find that a lot of these movies they, they rely too hard on cheap laughs to cover them because they don't have the the creativity to do something proper their own way so horror comedies are a strange one there are amazing ones but a lot of the time it just gives me a fucking headache the comedy that was in horror movies in the 80s though was the perfect fucking blend because they were actually trying to be funny but they were also trying to be scary. You look at something like Fright Night. Or to a degree some of the later Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. There's some goofy stuff in there. But there's a lot of creepy stuff. People still grew up having nightmares. 
looking at Freddy Krueger. Even though he's a cartoon character almost. With how ridiculous he is. Isn't it? So you see these movies. They're not scary enough so they have to be funny. They're not funny enough so they have to try to be scary. And it never really works. So I think take a leaf out of the 80s book. If you're going to do something. Actually you know who does it right? Jordan Peele. Get Out and Us were two great examples of movies that are actually quite funny at times. Us has some really like unexpected humour but really tense moments. I think Jordan Peele is actually probably one of the last people out there who's doing the fucking blend of these things really well. Because they're straight up horror movies that are funny. He's not just throwing the comedy in because he doesn't believe he can't be scary enough. He's proving he can with the tension. And he's not just having scary bits thrown into a comedy movie because his, his comedy isn't working too well. The comedy and the horror both work brilliantly. So he's a, he's a rare case nowadays. So if you're going to do it, be like him and fucking learn to blend it correctly and get that, that balance right. I don't remember how I even got onto this, but here we are. So I'm going to very briefly go through a bunch of these movies that I fucking watched over the last while. Although I'll tell you what, I see I watched... I'm ha- I was half taking a do in a spotlight episode on the five Death Wish movies because I watched all five of them over the last while and I have a lot to say about them so I'm thinking I might actually just do a spotlight episode during the week where I talk about the five Death Wish movies and I'll go into detail on them there'll be spoilers for all five of them because there's a lot I have to say about them and I think they they are actually quite an interesting subject and I I don't want to revisit the Bruce Willis one but I'll talk about that as well so I'll do yeah I'll do a big Death Wish special spotlight episode because there's an excuse for me to do it. and of course i have all the fucking time in the world with this virus but just to mention some of the other stuff i saw so dirty dozen it's fucking amazing got to watch the premium collection blu-ray comes with a i mean it has a whole host of fucking the absolute tough guy fucking characters which i'm gonna get onto another tough guy movie after this but i mean this is serious you've got the likes of fucking you've charles bronson for a start uh lee marvin ernie borgnine Jim Brown, John Cassavetes, and George Kennedy. All these people that I love watching. Robert Ryan, there's fucking tons of people. Telly Savalas, Donald Sutherland, Robert Weber. Like, this movie is just full of some of the best actors of the time in the 60s all coming together in a movie that, without it, probably wouldn't have Inglorious Bastards. Like, that is one of the most important fucking movies to, to borrow from, from Tarantino, or Tarantino to borrow from. And it's basically just 12 guys who were in, uh, who are prisoners in the American military in World War Two, are picked, or cherry-picked by Lee Marvin to essentially become a team of elite soldiers that are going in to do special death-defying missions. That's the basic breakdown of it, but uh, I mean, it's loads of fun. Like, pretty much the first, it's two and a half hours. I think the first hour and a half is a lot of just training and building up these characters and then you have serious action set pieces after that. And it's just... What I love about it is there's a, a good meanness to it. Because even though it's fun, it's like it's a romp. It's like Kelly's Heroes or something like that. It's like it's really good fun and enjoyable. Or The Great Escape. These, these kind of movies. It has a, like the it has the, the horrors of war in there as well. And I think they do a really good job of that. Particularly a scene involving grenades. It's just a fucking... I've never seen it gone. This is just deadly. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, like I said, I got the premium collection blu-ray and it comes with one of the sequels there was i think four tv movie sequels which are all meant to be dog shit this comes with the first one which has 
both Ernest Borgnine and Lee Marvin in it. And I think that apparently the two of them do fuck all in it. It's meant, it's meant to be really shit. I, I am interested to watch it though. That's a nice extra. There's loads of kind of behind the scenes stuff. There's a good uh, military training video done in the 60s that Lee Marvin narrated. Like, so it comes with some good extras. But yeah, this movie, fucking tremendous. Comes out in 1967. I loved it. Not more I can say about it. If you're a fan of The Great Escape or you're a fan of Kelly's Heroes or just movies of that ilk, you're going to fucking love this. And like I said, Lee Marvin is the epitome of don't fuck with me. Like, anyone who fucking Lee Marvin here just take a shit. And Charles Bronson. And that's why I'm going to lead into my next movie, which is one I've been meaning to see for fucking years. I finally got to watch it. And it's Walter Hill's debut movie, which makes it all the more impressive. And it's Hard Times, otherwise known as The Street Fighter, which I think is what it was called over here. This movie is set in the Depression era with Charles Bronson, tough as fucking nails. He's 52 when he made this movie, same year he made actually the first Death Wish. And he's an absolute unit in it. And he's basically a hired fighter who will, I mean, there's like fight clubs all around the city. I think it's is it Chicago. It's all over different parts of America, to be honest. And he runs into a surprisingly weaselly and slimy James Coburn, who like he's usually will play fucking intimidating tough guys. And this is a bit more slimy, and you don't really trust him. But he's the guy who basically sets up the fights for him and handles the money and whatever else. And it's about them fighting their way around America, more or less, like or different parts of America to fight the best fighters, gambling and. It's just a really good tough guy slugfest fucking movie. And I absolutely loved it. It's amazing looking. I can't believe this was a debut film for Walter Hill. Like this is of such a high quality. With fucking Charles Bronson and James Coburn. Two colossal actors. Like how he managed to fucking get the two of them. With what is seemingly no track record. Unless he was doing different things and made his name otherwise. But for a debut film this is fucking blinding. I absolutely loved it. Great soundtrack, great cinematography. The fight scenes are really meaty and violent and they're proper slugfest. There's no real quick... Like, I think people are too used to quick, handheld, born identity, camera-shaped bollocks nowadays. They can't appreciate a good fucking one-on-one thumbfest. And it's just... This is just full of them. I absolutely loved it. Highly recommend it. There's an amazing Blu-ray from Eureka. The act of transfer of this. It looks like it was fucking shot yesterday. It is blinding looking highly recommend people get on this one it is fantastic it's called hard times from 1975 directed by walter hill with james coburn and the legendary charles bronson so check that out obviously i mentioned earlier i rewatched the departed which is one of my favorite martin scorsese movies from 2006 i remember seeing it years and years ago and i i always loved it i've watched it several times it was one of those movies that i got from america because uh, i do i actually want to do talk a bit about dvds at some stage and just the experience of them and how i actually miss them despite the fact that i'm more blu-ray purist now but i remember when i used to get movies from america usually play usa i'd get them months in advance and sometimes there'd be longer versions of it and whatever else and i remember getting the departed on dvd several months before it even was looking to be on dvd over here and i i cherished that uh several different words came into my head there but cherished it was the one i was looking for and I absolutely loved it, watched it religiously, but watching it again the other night, obviously I remember the movie like the back of my hand, but it never occurred to me, first of all, just how good Jack Nicholson is. Like I always thought he was class in it and really dark and evil and whatever else. 
but I was always more focused on DiCaprio and Matt Damon and loved all them but fucking man Jack Nicholson is blinding in this movie he's so fucking good and Ray Winston as well I've always fucking loved Ray Winston he's really good in this too but so many character actors amazing fucking score and the cinematography is great Mark Wahlberg's brilliant in it Alec Baldwin is hilarious but Jesus, I never actually, even though I've always known it was a violent movie, I never really took into account just how vicious it was. Like, this is raw as fuck in certain parts. And it really just, it, it puts you in a headspace for Leonardo DiCaprio because he's obviously, he's around violence the whole time. He's having panic attacks over the whole thing. But when you see just how visceral everything is and how he's involved in it, like, it, it puts you in his shoes and it makes it all the more tense. It's really fucking well done. So, Scorsese obviously won Best Picture, I think won best director as well might have won best editing like this was the one that people were like it's one of those bullshit things where it's like oh they're just giving him a, an oscar because he deserves one it's not because of the movie it's definitely because of the movie this movie is fucking superb in every way it comes together so nicely it's really smart and it was smart of scorsese not to watch infernal affairs beforehand because obviously it's a remake of the chinese movie he decided I'm not going to watch it because I don't want to have any influence on how I'm making this. I don't want to copy the scenes in that movie. I'm going to copy the source material, but I'm not going to copy the scenes. And it was a smart idea. I think this is a fucking amazing movie. And it put, it actually made me really get into the word, or not the word, the song, uh, Gimme Shelter by Rolling Stones. I remember this is one of the first places I heard it. I thought, this is just fucking class. So yeah, The Departed, it's raw, it's gritty, it's fucking brilliant absolutely watch it if you haven't seen it already if you have seen it already though fuck it you're you're in for the week give it a look it's outstanding another one i watched that's a bit i suppose out of my comfort zone because in general i find that indian movies are very tough for me to sit through because 90 percent of the time it's, it turns into singing and dancing and i mean i don't mind musicals but i, I hate it if i'm watching a crime thriller and suddenly there's singing and dancing and a lot of the production things just wreck my head about them. So I, I do want to try them out. There's a few. I have that uh, that movie's bucket list poster that you scratch off the little poster every time you watch one. And there's three Bollywood movies on there that I'm very reluctant about watching. But I will give them a go. But this one is one that I heard great things about. People are saying it was nail-bitingly intense. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a go. It appeared on Netflix. Or I think maybe it's actually a Netflix original. Or at least it's... It's on there anyway. That's where I heard about it being available. And it's one called Pihu. And apparently it's based on a true story. I imagine that it's massively embellished. Just to make it a bit more interesting. But the general idea is. A woman who. Well I suppose I don't want to explain what exactly happened. But let's just say it's about a two year old girl. And she wakes up in her apartment next to a mom who is dead and her dad has fucked off on a business trip and she's pretty much just trapped in her house after it was i think it's actually the day after her birthday so there's like so many fucking things around the house and it's a big a big big apartment and it's pretty much just you following this two-year-old getting into a whole host of nerve-wracking intense situations that could endanger her life now i'm not a parent so this will obviously land very differently for me because not that I not that I don't care but I don't I I don't experience these dangers in real life 
because I don't have a kid so I, I can't see them as intense unless you have a kid if you have a kid and you're watching this movie this will probably have you on the edge of your fucking seat but I was just watching it going this is quite stupid because there's several times throughout the movie where she'll go out to the balcony and she'll be standing on the edge trying to reach a balloon and you think she's going to fall off 20 stories and she's fucking in her house trying to reach behind the TV and there's like exposed wires and then she's over at the gas cooker and things are starting to burn and the whole time all these situations are the most intense dangerous situations for what is effectively a baby nearly to be involved in but what makes them so ineffective is the fact that all of these are happening one after another in the same day to the one person to the point it's just so fucking far-fetched and dumb any one of these situations isolated would be one of the most heart-stopping things i've ever seen if i was watching a different drama movie where there's a scene in which this two-year-old is going in trying to learn how to cook food on her own or like getting trapped inside a fridge like all these kind of things i'd be like oh fucking hell i'd be on the edge of my seat going oh shit what's gonna happen here but when it's 20 minutes into the movie i'm like okay she'll get out of this because the whole movie is going to be her trapped in this house and it's 90 minutes long the hardy is going to have her get trapped in a fridge and that's the end of it and you're like oh that was grim so everything that happened in it i was kind of sitting there going she's going to be all right i never once actually really felt danger for her situation wise yeah you can understand it and it is quite grim and i mean there's times in it as well where she's dubbed and it's really fucking bad <laughs> but i don't know well first of all the plot and the dialogue is shite the dialogue between the characters you get a lot of phone calls between characters because she finds her mom's phone and she's trying to learn how to answer it and talk to her dad and all and it's just so over the top and daft and doesn't work there's like you can hear neighbors talking and their dialogue is ridiculous it's one of them situations that's obviously it's horrifying especially if it's based on a real thing it's really tense but I, i don't know i just felt really irritated by it i think as i said isolated these scenes would have me fucking heart my mouth but it just doesn't work when they're one after another and they're so over the top and uh, i don't know because i think there's there's a one stage where she drops a lot of pills on the ground and she's looking at them and she's like debating whether or not to eat them and i think again if this was another movie you know it's a fucking good example of this in the firm the tv movie with gary oldman really fucking gritty football hooligan kind of movie brilliant fucking stuff but there's a point in it where you know he always carries a stanley blade with him and he has a he's looking after his kid in the house and the kid at one point finds a stanley blade and doesn't understand what it is it's only like a toddler around the same age as the girl in this but puts it in his mouth and start doesn't realize he's kind of just rubbing it in his mouth and pretty much slashes his own mouth and i remember when i saw that the first one, i was like oh fuck like this is i couldn't believe i'm like i was tense by it i was like i couldn't believe it, it was shocking but because it's unexpected and it's something real and you're like oh god i can't believe that happened with this i was just watching it going i can't imagine anything's going to happen here it just feels over the top it feels silly it it's not surprising it's not shocking maybe as i said if you're a parent it hit you differently you might think oh fuck like i can only imagine this happening to my kid but i don't know i just thought it was over the top and as a result quite ineffective now what i was happy with is that it didn't follow the traditional bollywood formula that i was kind of worried might happen it's a lot bleaker it's darker even though it's it feels a bit like a soap opera 
it, it didn't go down those usual roads that I find irritating. So it, it had that for it. It has its moments. I think each one of those scenes would be great otherwise. But overall, I just found it over the top and stupid. So that's Pihu, which I think it was 2016, I think it came out. I need to just check that. She could have been later now that I think about it. It was 2018, yeah. So, yeah, I think it was a bit too unbelievable. It could have been better, but I don't know. If you're a parent, give it a look and see if it'll be intense for you. Because um, it just didn't do much for me. We'll move on to the last four movies I'm going to talk about. Two of which are rewatches. One is a partial rewatch, and one is one that I've wanted to see for fucking years. Uh, which I can thank YouTube for because I just had no way of finding it before. The DVD was even fucking hard to find. I'll actually start with that. It is a comedy film, crude comedy, so obviously it has me on board. From Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, who were obviously I know them from several different comedic outlets. Uh, David or Bob Odenkirk mostly through Breaking Bad and obviously now Better Call Saul, as I said one of the best shows ever made it's on tv watch it if you don't like it you're an idiot and david cross who i've seen as a comedian for years and then i saw him in arrested development and i've just i've seen him just in several different comedy things before always enjoyed him and the two of them got together and made this movie run ronnie run and i think it's based on a character they did because they had a sketch show in the 90s called mr show and they, they did a sort of research into that on netflix called i think it's I can't remember what it's called. The Bob and Dave show. Or has some kind of name like that. But they did all sorts of sketches. And they were really dark. It was on HBO. So they were allowed to swear. And kind of do whatever they wanted. And obviously David Cross's comedy. Is some of the darkest shit you'll ever hear. But I think they came up with this character. Ronnie. Or Ronnie Dobb. Ronnie Dobbs I think his character's name is. And he's like a white trash. Mullet. Sort of. Fucking heavy metal listening. Criminal. Who goes around just doing all these really small petty crimes. And gets arrested all the time. And I think they said they wanted to make a movie out of it. I think this movie initially was going to be like a series of sketches. Kind of like the Onion movie. Which I remember not being great. But I remember it had some funny bits in it. Where it's like a series of sketches that loosely connect to each other. But the studios obviously said we want to make this more about the Ronnie character. And it's all about him. How he's always getting arrested and appearing on TV. Bob Odenkirk plays this British TV producer in Hollywood. Who really wants to just make it. And he discovers that. Rod or Ronnie, what's his fucking name? Ronnie Dobbs discovers Ronnie Dobbs on a sort of cops TV ripoff and says, "I'm gonna make a TV show about this guy," where he goes around doing all kinds of shit and gets arrested, and it's them becoming ultra popular and going to Hollywood, and the outcome of all that. And that's what it's basically a spoof movie, and you've loads. I mean, fucking tons of celebrity cameos, and one I really liked was uh You've Trey Parker and Matt Stone appearing in it, and they talk about how much they love Hollywood, even though they hate Hollywood. You like the likes of Jeff Goldblum, and just tons of fucking people appear in this movie, and it's really fucking funny. I was expecting. I remember when I saw the poster for this years ago, I thought that looks annoying, and I didn't watch it. But I wish I saw this when I was about 13, because this was the perfect kind of comedy I would have loved back then. I just really enjoyed it now. There's some very fucking funny bits, and. Uh, it does feel like something that might have been around the same kind of time as Orgasmo and Basketball. It has that sort of daftness to it. Maybe not as spoofy as Basketball. Baseball is David Zucker, so that has airplane, naked gun kind of silliness to it. This, ha- this has more 
orgasmo silliness where it's clearly very dumb but it's very fucking funny and there's times of this where I was really belly laughing hard uh, oh Jack Black has a cameo as well there's tons of fucking people but it's really silly you just have to remember that because I think I've talked about before how comedy has changed and I'm going to have a guest on soon hopefully soon anyway after all this fucking blows over but we're going to I'm going to mention the uh, the way comedy works now because comedy has changed and it evolves every two years as a theory I've come up with but I think if you're going to watch this now people might be expecting more hangover kind of comedy or ultra surreal comedy they're the two kind of comedy genres or subgenres that are out now where it's going to be improvised silly comedy where it's just okay we we'll do 150 takes and we'll choose the best one which i think is a lot of bollocks uh or it's going to be ultra surreal tim and eric wannabe kind of fucking mad comedy this is just back when it was good silly offensive but good nature is not the word but it's just it's offensive in such a way that it's so clearly offensive that you can't even look at it and actually really get offended you're just laughing at it because it's pure old school comedy it's really daft it's really fucking funny run runny run from 2002 the dvd is available out there but i everywhere i couldn't see it anywhere to actually buy unless you go to ebay i just found it on youtube and i watched it there and i fucking thought it was tremendous so if you can't get the dvd do that but yeah I know that Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, they haven't disowned it, but they said they weren't too happy with the result. And I think there was a lot of studio interference, the way it was edited. I think the, the bare bones of what they wanted to do was there. I know David Cross had said that the, what, what was in the script is actually in the film, but they just would have put it together differently. It's really silly, and it's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend it. The other two are rewatches. Now, I got both of these Blu-rays. I, don't, I actually forgot to mention The Island, but The Island and Street Kings were two of the movies that I got for one euro each in a charity shop, which was a fucking bargain of a century. Uh, Street Kings is one that I wanted to re-watch, because I watched this back in 2009, I think. It came out in 2008, but I saw it a year later. I really just wanted Training Day 2. And when I watched it, I didn't get that. So I was like, oh, this isn't really doing it for me. And the mood I was in, the circumstances I was watching it as well. I was kind of just watching it while there was work going on in the house. And it was loud and I was just doing it to occupy myself. I just remember not getting the best experience watching it and thinking, ah, it didn't do much for me. So I said, I really want to give that another chance because I didn't get it to get the full feeling of the movie. And I am glad that I bought this Blu-ray because not only is it loaded with fucking extras, loads of deleted scenes, alternate takes, behind the scenes stuff, great stuff. But the film very much fucking holds up. It's really fucking good. It's Keanu Reeves who's playing... A sort of crooked cop. He, he hangs out with a group of cops who are definitely dirty. And the likes of which Jay Moore and Forrest Whitaker is the leader of this group of cops. And he used to run with... Or they used to have someone who ran with them which was Terry Crews. And he sort of... Which I've discovered in a deleted scene. He finds God and doesn't want to actually do this kind of bad shit anymore. But I think it's better to not think about that. So there's a lot of alternate stuff. This is actually a great example of editing which I'll get to in a minute. But he decides anyway he wants to go straight and be a snitch. And Keanu Reeves wants to give him a hiding. And follows him to a a gas station. But when he gets there there's a robbery. Which turns into a shootout. And during the shootout Terry Crews is killed. Not ruining the movie. This is the opening fucking idea of the movie. But in the shootout Keanu Reeves managed to actually shoot him as well. And... It's all about 
Forrest Whitaker trying to help him cover that up, but him also trying to find out who these two robbers were because there's something very fishy going on. And I mean, you've got the likes of Chris Evans in there as well. Like this is pre Captain America. A lot of mystery and thrills, and like I said, that probably sounds like I gave a lot away, but it's not. It's actually the opening general idea of the movie. Keanu Reeves is pretty much just a hired dog to go in and do shit that's very not legal <laughs> in terms of uh, how they deal with stuff. So he might go in and take out a lot of drug dealers and plant weapons on them just to be like, oh yeah, they were they were drug dealers. No one's going to question it, but it looks like he might have been attacked first and whatever else. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with the movie, but it, it, it goes in really smart directions and has really good mystery to it. It's thrilling. It's brutal too. It's some vicious fucking stuff in it. And I just remember, I don't know why it didn't click with me the first time. Like I said, I had all that circumstance beforehand, but it's just... I don't know, it's it's undeniably a really fucking solid thriller. David Ayer directed it and wrote it, which, again, it makes me want to revisit another movie he made called Harsh Times, which I remember having a weird experience with, because the first time I watched it, I thought, this is fucking deadly. Second time I watched it, I thought, eh, it's not great. And the third time I watched it, I fucking hated it. So, I feel a bit weird about that one, and I kind of want to actually give it one more try and see if I still hate it, or if I was just not in the right mood for it or whatever because I remember loads of stuff that I didn't recognise the first time I watched that stuck out to me and annoyed me so I do want to give it a a second chance but David Ayer in general is a strange one because there's aspects of his stuff that I love aspects of his stuff I hate like Sabotage should have been fucking amazing and it ended up just being a disaster and obviously Suicide Squad is a kick to the fucking face so he is a weird one but I can confirm that Street Kings is well worth watching. Really fucking entertaining. The extras are great. And this is what I wanted to mention about the editing. is because there's so many different plot strands and ideas that they had in the script. That there's alternate takes of and deleted scenes that explain these. But it just goes to show that you, you pretty much shot two movies in that in that way. Like the, the way the story goes would completely change certain aspects of the movie. And he didn't keep them in there. He changed them and did the, a, a different take. And just rewrote the whole movie almost. And it just shows with editing. You can really fucking change the end result. Because you could nearly edit this movie around. To have an alternate story. Purely. But now the alternate story I don't actually like. I'm glad that they went the way they did. But like I find it fucking amazing they're able to do that. And the fact that the Blu-ray gives you the option to look at these scenes. Of what could have been. is fucking tremendous as well. So... Definitely give this one a look. It's a nasty, fucking thrilling, really entertaining. And it's got a good... like The haze is something that I saw mentioned before. It's because when they shot it at a particular time in the summer. Where there's a really hazy look to LA. It's a great LA movie. But the look of the city is just fucking great. I just think... While it's not the same as Training Day. It's a great companion to it. Because they're two very different but very much in the same world movies. And I highly recommend checking it out. And plus, Keanu Reeves is fucking class in it. He gives a really good performance, and it's good to see him, I suppose, be out of his comfort zone, especially after The Matrix. And I mean, he gets a bad rap anyway, but he's fucking, he's really good in this movie. So, Street Kings, while we're watching. The other movie is a Michael Bay movie that, I mean, let's just face it, Michael Bay's a good director, whatever you fucking say. I mentioned this the last time when I was talking about Bad Boys 2. He's a good director. Some of his movies are a bit daft. He's really fucking talented. He has his own style. But, I mean, you can see why people don't like him. But I, I actually think he's quite good. Even though I think the Transformers movies are balls. 
he he knows what he's doing in certain in these aspects. He knows what to give people, and the island is a very fucking solid sci-fi thriller, and it's pretty much borrowing from the likes of Logan's Run and The Prisoner and things like that. And it's this facility where there's been a big virus that's gone and taken out half the world. Actually, probably apt viewing considering this is all going on. But the survivors of this wake up in this facility and it's like, okay, we rescued you from this from outside this world, and we like we we have an island that we can send you to. But because there's so many here who are sick, we want to try to get you all better and. We want to make sure that only a certain amount of people can go there because the population is so fucked up now after this outbreak. Uh, we have a lottery system. And if you are chosen on this lottery system, you get to go and live on the island and whatever. And Ewan McGregor is in it. He's the lead character you're following. And obviously you have the likes of Steve Buscemi and Scarlett Johansson and Sean Bean. But the, the idea is that Ewan McGregor discovers something about the island and how all these people are actually being lied to and there's something very fishy going on and it's about him and Scar Johansson trying to escape this facility and go on the run and find out what's going on in the real world and what's actually happening out there and I'm, again I'm trying to be supposed vague but I shouldn't really be I mean see I, I'm so against spoilers in general that I, I find myself not want to give any details about movies but that's not what this is about this is a fucking movie podcast i want to actually talk about the movies so the idea is they go on the run they escape the facility again this happens very early on so i'm not actually ruining anything and it's about them trying to be reclaimed because they discover a a dangerous i suppose plan they have for the people in there and why they're being held in this facility and what their actual purpose is i'll be that vague about it i don't want to ruin why they're on the run but it's very interesting. Superb looking movie. The action scenes are fucking amazing in it. Another one where it's just I'm looking at it going. Michael Bay puts every fucking cent of his budget into the action. Because holy shit. There's a similar scene to what happens in Bad Boys 2. Where it's a big highway chase and there's cars falling off the back and blowing shit up. In this it's big train wheels. And some of the stuff they do is just incredible. And this is the thing. CGI is implemented into actual backgrounds here rather than a green screen where it's all cgi and it all looks quite fake the cgi even if it looks not as good as a lot of modern stuff it looks real it looks like it's there it looks like it's actually happening and that's just a testament to how fucking well he handles cgi because even the transformers movies as as cgi heavy as they are and it's overindulgent and it's headache inducing a lot of it looks fantastic what's actually happening it's just boring as shit. But with the island, you have... I mean, it's quite scaled back in that aspect. The action scenes are big and loud and great. but And there's one of them that I actually just think is so stupid. But it's fantastic how they do it. And the stunts... the Like, some of the stunts in this are clearly accidental. And very fucking dangerous. And brilliant. Like, it's just... The way he handles all that stuff is fantastic. Hugh McGregor's character is actually really interesting. Same with Scarlett Johansson. You're trying to find out some information about them. That's where I'm going to stay vague because I think it'll, it'll ruin those aspects of the film. But it's just really fucking clever how they do it. It's great CGI. It's great action. The story's smart even though it's... I suppose you could argue it's been done before but it's it's handled really well. 
I just think it's a fucking really solid sci-fi movie that doesn't actually get enough attention. It ended up being a crit or not a critical, but a financial failure. No one really went to see it, and it's unfortunate. I remember seeing it in the cinema and loving it, and I remember that was a DVD I picked up. I remember actually getting it in a super queen of all places before it became super value. Uh, because they had it cheap I said fuck it I'll definitely get that and watching it again back then I loved it but I hadn't seen it since this is 2006 I maybe watched that DVD watching it again it definitely holds up really fucking enjoyable really smart and just doesn't get the credit it deserves I think it's it shows that Michael Bay is a competent and solid director you have to adjust yourself a bit to his style but I mean you know what you're going to get with him he just gives you exactly what you expect at this stage from a Michael Bay film. And I think it works. And I enjoy it. So, The Island, it's not groundbreaking, but it's absolutely very solid, very entertaining, and a decent sci-fi actioner, which is not enough of nowadays. It'd be, it'd be not quite as smart, but along the lines of Minority Report. It'd be a lot in that same kind of box. I'd actually consider that a very decent double bill for you to do. So, Minority Report and The Island... The island is like a really colourful version of the dour looking Minority Report. As much as I love Minority Report. But they're very different looking movies. So yeah, that's a very solid sci-fi double bill that you could have from the mid-2000s. Or early 2000s as well. So yeah, The Island definitely holds up well worth a look. Maybe it would have been smarter of me to end on The Island. Because I had such positive things to say. But I'm actually going to end on a very negative note. And that is... I I can't say rewatched because I watched 20 minutes or so before of the Max Payne movie. I remember seeing the first 20-25 minutes and I think I thought it was shite. But I was like, no, I want to give this a real chance. And I know the version I saw was also cut to shreds because there's an uncut version. Now, I was wrong about that because the uncut version is just loads of digital fucking CGI blood thrown into it. But I remember thinking to myself, right, I love the games. Huge fan of them. This looks like it was trying to merge the idea of those games with Mark Wahlberg doing the shittiest performance he's ever done plus Constantine thrown on top of it. So there was a lot going on here that I was like, this looks like a fucking mess. But I said to myself, you know what? I know it's a shit adaptation of the game. I got that from the first fucking five minutes when I watched it before. But... I'm going to watch this whole movie, the extended cut, with the mindset of this is its own thing. It has nothing to do with Max Payne. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just its own sort of fantasy horror action mystery thriller, whatever you want to call it. On those merits, not anything to do with Max Payne, it is still genuinely one of the shittest films I've watched in so long. Like, I couldn't believe my eyes how fucking poor this movie was in every aspect there are some moments where i like the look of it there's some shots in like alleyways and snowy scenes that look really nice but it's very artificial because i love gritty gothic new york and that kind of look and obviously the game perfectly captures that this tries to but I, every time I looked at it, I said, this looks wrong. This doesn't look like New York. I'm pretty sure they're not shooting there, and that's a CGI background. And I was right, because they shot most of this movie in Canada, with the odd scenic shot of New York. 
And any scene where you see the New York skyline behind him, or cityscape, whatever you want to call it, it was very clearly digitally put in. And it just wrecked my head. It sucked the atmosphere out. Because I was only talking to like people in a group recently about these fucking movies that came out around this time. So you have the, like the late 90s, mid-2000s, gothic, gritty sci-fi or not sci-fi sorry horror action fantasy element kind of stuff even things like blade i just love stuff that has a gritty because new york's my favorite place in america to see movies has a gritty feel to it the likes of like that kingpin game that came out in the 90s the punisher game max Payne, those games a lot of our games the games got it better than any of the movies but you'd have the likes of constantine as well stuff like that there's very particular atmosphere to that kind of movie. I was hoping that this would capture that and I'd have a nice nostalgic feel. Because even actually, I talked about Punisher Wars on there recently. How I still don't like that movie, but it has the atmosphere, it has the look. This movie has nothing. It has garbage acting. The most boring, pedestrian, shitty plot that you've seen a billion fucking times before. It takes elements from the plot of the game and gawks all over them and it has the fucking most embarrassing performances from everyone on board mark Wahlberg is fucking terrible he tries to do like tough guy cool cop stuff which if you know max Payne, is nothing like that and like i said i tried to take it on its own merits but it ended up just being generic shit Bo bridges is a character in this where and i i don't even care if this is a fucking spoiler because all i'm saying is do not watch this shit but it's very clear almost immediately when you see him that you go he is the villain as soon as you see him you go there is no way he is not the villain and lo and behold of course he's the fucking villain it is tripe cringy special effects awful fucking cgi embarrassingly bad cartoonish shitty cgi and it's like it's it's like it's trying to take elements of like the video game has all these gangster elements there's loads of mafia stuff going on russian mafia it feels like a mix of a film noir with like Jacob's Ladder or something like that. There's loads of smart shit going on. This really badly tries to incorporate those things. It abandons the gangster stuff. It adds loads of demons. And it's just so fucking poor. What's her face? Mila Kunis plays the Mona Sachs character. Who in the game is fucking brilliant. In this it is just like. It's like watching a, a little girl on Halloween. Who's dressed up as a, an action hero. And you have to like pretend to be getting shot when she runs in shooting and laughing at you. It's like that level of intimidation. She is garbage in this movie. I think she has her moments in other movies, but like these, this is not the role for her, and it is awful. Her and Mark Wahlberg together are just a terrible duo. You have Chris. Is it Chris O'Donnell? I think it's Chris O'Donnell who played Robin in the Batman and Robin movie. He appears in this and he's rubbish in it. There's just so there's so many fucking things. Every cliche you've ever seen in a shitty, gritty detective movie is in this. Awful fucking story. I don't know how there hasn't been a good Max Payne movie. There's been several fan movies that have come out. There's another fan movie coming out with a guy who actually does the voice of Max Payne. Uh, I don't remember the name of it though. But it's it's pretty much hugely inspired by it. By not using the same names. I This movie. There's so much room for this to be perfect. And 
to get the noir elements and to get the look like it's rife with these fucking things and they're not capitalizing on it they're making terrible fucking stuff this movie is an insult to that game it's an insult to movies in general there's genuinely no redeeming features it is unbearable unbearable from start to finish the first 15 or so minutes kind of has you though because it's it, it nearly has that look of those like early early noughties gritty new york gothic architecture kind of movies it nearly has you with that shit and it abandons it very quickly and becomes a generic boring terrible ugly looking stupid brutally fucking choreographed fucking pile of shit irredeemably fucking bad and now years ago when i saw that first 20 minutes i thought it was really fucking bad and i never wanted to watch it but i like i said i wanted to give it a chance i regret that immediately it is atrocious awful do not watch this film it should be buried every copy of it buried and covered in human shit it is worthless and i know it sounds over the top what i'm saying here but i spent almost the entirety of that movie face palming and going i actually don't believe i'm seeing this it's so fucking bore the real the real max Payne movie that you should watch which doesn't even follow any of the structure of the game but has the tone and atmosphere is a brilliant fucking movie which actually has two versions here's the positive end actually there we go bringing it around here to give people something good to fucking finish up on there's a movie that came out in 1998 i think it was or 99 and i remember seeing it on tv this is one of those moments where i stayed up late and i wasn't supposed to and i got to watch this movie i was like wow this is fucking amazing and it's a movie called payback with mel gibson in it and it's kind of a rip-off or at least the same kind of plot as point blank with lee marvin very similar and he obviously he's a cop or no he's not a cop what is he he's a criminal who he's left for dead by the crew he just did a robbery with and he decides to go on revenge to get his money back he survives being shot and it's just really gritty violent there's two cuts of the movie though which is really interesting this is another thing to do with editing where chris christopherson is in the normal theatrical cut and he plays the villain but the other version of the movie has an entirely different third act and it has a different tone the the original payback i saw has a very not lethal weapon comedy because obviously he's known for that but there's a lot of humorous elements in it and stuff's played for last and there's a slightly more upbeat score but then there was a version called payback straight up and i thought that was actually a sequel but it turns out it was a re-edited version that had that entire different act that he originally wanted in it and it's just a much more 70s style gritty like there's still funny moments obviously it's, it's just naturally humorous but it's played less funny it feels more gritty it feels more real and there's narration in it with mel gibson and he kind of looks like max Payne. he's a leather jacket he's dressed the same this movie just feels like it could have been max Payne. i feel like even max Payne probably borrowed from this movie the narration is brilliant it's very noirish it's tough it's gritty it's mean it's got a serious i think it's, it's either new york or chicago it's one or the other but it has that gritty cityscape and that look to it and i just i think it's fucking superb i absolutely love it that is the true max Payne movie in my eyes they could still do another one i hope they do another one i hope they get the right people involved and they do a really good faithful decent max Payne movie 
happily see a trilogy of the games because the games are fucking amazing I'd actually like to see them adapted into movies and done well with good actors good directors and if they could just somehow erase the original Max Payne movie because it's fucking shite so if you want my advice obviously avoid Max Payne but give Payback a look Payback deserves a resurgence and as I said the Blu-ray it comes with both versions of the movie so it has the theatrical version and the straight up cut both are excellent I kind of prefer the straight up cut even though I saw that afterwards but it feels like a more well rounded gritty movie although the the original Payback is still brilliant so go watch that movie give that attention resurge that movie because it's brilliant and do everything in your power to avoid Max Payne for 2008 because holy fucking shit that film is just beyond terrible but that's where I'm going to leave you now. And I'm going to come back. I am actually going to do that during the week. I'm going to do six Death Wish movies. So Death Wish 1 to 5 with Charles Bronson. And the Bruce Willis one. And I'm going to talk about all of them. And just do a spotlight episode. Where I get really in depth into all of them. So that'll be a, a good one to start off with. So during the week you're going to have that. You're going to have this as soon as possible. Hopefully. And thanks again for listening. I'm actually going to give two shout outs though for some people who've just been ultra supportive of this show first is a friend of mine who i know from around college times and things like that and he's always been into movies he's been always sharing posts about the podcast on the likes of instagram and wherever else and that's mike cochran so thanks very much and the other is a friend of mine that i met through instagram who also is just mad about movies studies movies and all sorts and this, this is just the benefits of instagram of kind of uh getting to connect with people who are into movies the same way and this is just through posts and tags whatever else and that's chris weston who he does lots of writing himself on the likes of taste of cinema things like that so look out for his name and yeah the two of them have just always been supportive of the podcast they're always sharing it about they always enjoy it so just want to say thanks and anyone else who enjoys the show thanks as well still getting some weird fucking location updates from all over the fucking world. Some of it makes sense now because I know certain people who are on holidays and trips about and it makes sense of where they're actually going to be but some of them are still baffle me. <laughs> so uh, I will update any more of them that I find. Still so far are the ones that I've just been mentioning before but I don't know. It's amazing the reach that this podcast can actually get but hopefully it'll reach some more. But yeah, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. It's, uh, it's a long one but it's not quite as long as what I've usually been doing so there you go. And my spotlight episode, I can't imagine it would be too long because I'm only really talking about six movies, but they'd be in-depth. Um, and yeah, if you enjoyed it this far and if you've enjoyed it at all, if you want to actually talk on this show, because I, I do want to start doing guests soon. Sometimes it could even be over Skype, I don't know, but I'll, I'll see because quality is an issue there and I don't want to be talking over people and saying kind of thing. Uh, but I do have a lot of ideas. I want to like maybe pick a, a fucking TV show that you've always liked that no one really talks about. We can talk about them here and loads of ideas so if you've any throw some ideas at me and if i find you interesting (laughs) i'll have you on the show but yeah thanks for listening expect more during the week and you're all cons goodbye